Welcome to Hippie Witch, magic for a new age. I'm your host, Joanna DeBone, and this is a happy, hippie place for talking all things magic, witches and fiction, and creating the kick-ass life of your dreams. Hi, thanks for joining me for episode 404 of Hippie Witch, Magic for a New Age. My name is Joanna DeVoe and I am the kooky creatrix behind Kick-Ass Witch, Putting the K in Magic, and Hippie Witch, the show you are listening to right now. I also have a free ebook by that name, Hippie Witch, Peace, Love, and all that good shit, and you can pick up a copy of that at www.joannadevoe.com or back on the description page, For this episode, back on Blog Talk Radio, where you will also find links to my friend Sierra Lowry. She agreed to come on the show for a little bit here today. This is mostly a solo show, but there's a 25-minute segment with Queen Sierra. So I think you all will really enjoy that. And there's a link if you want to connect with her on social media. There is a link to You Are a Queen, which is a free three-part video series I created for any woman who wants to start working with the queen archetype, the big five-week-long journey that I lead at least once a year, the queen program, five weeks to reclaim your personal sovereignty. That is starting August 1st, but I created this free video series for anybody who wants to just get started on that journey now, so check that out if you want to do that. And I have to give a special shout out to two new patrons supporting the podcast over on Patreon. Thank you so much, Laura Hazelton and Megan Arbuckle for keeping Hippie Witch on the air. Thank you to anybody who has ever supported the podcast over on Patreon. I really appreciate it. And for you all that are are supporting the podcast... You literally are supporting the podcast because the more people that are over on Patreon, the more free time that makes for me to be able to record episodes like this for the general public. So a big fat thank you for everybody who's listening right now (laughs) because you actually are making the show possible. You are freeing up my time, which gives me the space to record these public podcasts. So thank you so much. Laura and Megan. And I also, I've been thinking about trying something. I'm going to do a little experiment with it today to see how you all like it, to see if I get any feedback about this. And I am a feedback-based creator. (laughs) So if I ever mention, like, I'm thinking about doing something and I don't hear back from you all, I just won't do it, most likely. That's kind of how I roll. But I've been thinking about doing a kind of Patron of the Month special here, which would feature a mini interview with one of the amazing people I have gotten to know through that platform, mainly because they inspire me every day. These are people who really are creating the kick-ass life of their dreams in their own unique way, and that's really what this show is all about. I think it's fun, too, to bring someone onto the show who is not actively seeking publicity, like for a book deal or some kind of public project. I love to have those people on, too, don't get me wrong, but there's just something special about bringing on a friend or someone living a less public life but doing their own magical thing nonetheless. I find that really inspiring. 
So as a test run, I thought it only fitting that I start with Sierra Lowry, a young, a young witchy woman who is truly one of the most supportive, personally courageous people I have ever met. And I just have a feeling that you're going to like her. You might even love her. And if you want something to look at while we are chatting, and that's coming up, let me let me tell you this. I'm going to do a big, long, personal ramble before we get to that. But if you want something to look at while I am chatting with Sierra, if you want to put a face with, with the sound of her voice, I recommend running over to Instagram and uh, she is X Petty Wise on Instagram. So that's X as in X Files, Petty as in why you being so petty, and Wise as in Wise Woman. X Petty Wise, and then you can actually see what she's look what she looks like while she's talking at you. And it's actually Sierra that she surprised me during this short interview because she brought up something unexpectedly personal unexpectedly to me it surprised me twice she said that her mother is violent and that's a bold statement to make on a public podcast and it reminded me of that popular Anne Lamott quote Anne Lamott is a really famous author she wrote the book Bird by Bird I feel like that's what she's best known for but she writes a lot of memoir a lot of her personal history. So I imagine people ask her a lot about that. And she has this quote in which she says, you own everything that happened to you. Tell your stories. If people wanted you to write warmly about them, they should have behaved better. <laughs> I think it makes me giggle because it just makes me so uncomfortable. If people wanted you to write warmly about them, they should have behaved better. And I, I would say that extends to speak warmly about them as I am a podcaster. And yeah, they should have behaved better. I, I struggle with that, to be honest. I have actually deleted a few Patreon podcasts that I felt might be hurtful to people that I care about, even though I did my best in the moment to be respectful and thoughtful. I still took them down once I realized how hurt the people I was speaking about would feel to be exposed for shitty things that they had done in the past because we all do shitty things and and we don't want to hear somebody <laughs> telling that story. Not that they're not entitled to it, but I find that personally for myself to be a slippery slope. Like I always want there to be an intention behind it and a lot of love and respect. And in this era of call-out culture, I want to be mindful of respecting other people's right to privacy and finding a healthy way to balance that with my right to tell my own story. Telling your truth is important. And I know for sure that I could serve from a much deeper place if I shared more of my personal history, and I may do that one day. Maybe one day I will write a memoir. I really don't know. I definitely have some good stories to tell. I just don't know how to do that without hurting other people, and that concerns me. But I will do a little teeny bit of that here today, just a touch and not in too much detail because of the reasons I just stated. 
And then also in semi-related news, you can consider this your official heads up that I am probably going to be archiving the first few years of podcasts here. Not because I think they're offensive, but because I've grown a lot since those first few years. I used to just schedule the show and then call in on my phone and talk off the top of my head for 30 minutes. <laughs> it came out surprisingly well considering, but I know that I can do a lot better. I've grown in confidence. I've become a better speaker. And I know that I can present the best of that old content if I redo it now with the skill set that I have today with less giggles and apologizing and and with better sound quality I might add although I'm still working on that that is an ongoing work in progress but it's light years better than back in the day when I was calling in on my telephone. It shocks me that so many of you write in to say, I just started from episode one. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> that was so many years ago. I don't even know what I said back then. And so I guess that's why I want to give like an official heads up so I don't get a bunch of angry messages when like 200 episodes all of a sudden disappear. I, I will be disappearing them shortly. Probably not this month because I'm busy this month. But I hope to have that done by the end of the year. Maybe even by the end of the Summer of Magic. We will have to see how my schedule pans out. Because, you know, the days, the days get away from you when you're a busy biz witch. And then... What really got me thinking about the line between keeping healthy boundaries and mindfully speaking one's truth was this idea that I had for today's show. I wanted to speak about radical responsibility, which to me is about taking complete responsibility for your own life and the management of every experience that comes your way, both in the way you receive and interpret life's circumstances and in the choices that you make in response. Therefore, responsibility. And that got me going back through my own timeline, my own personal timeline of radical responsibility and looking for clues as to when I really got started on that path, which brought me around to two important archetypes which you probably can guess if you've been hanging with me for a while here. One is the witch and the other is the queen. Saturn is in there somewhere too in terms of importance for me regarding radical responsibility, but it was the witch and the queen that I took on as labels. The witch and the queen have become both. They have become like a sacred part of my identity and I can't impress upon you their vital importance to me without telling you about the circumstances that brought them my way. I've tried my best to explain here in the past that post-traumatic stress disorder had a big something to do with it, but I wasn't willing to share why I got post-traumatic stress disorder, partly because I did not get it through an act of war or physical violence like out on the streets, which is what I always associated with that condition. And this is so weird, but I did not feel that my circumstances warranted 
such a dire diagnosis, like such a serious diagnosis. And keep in mind, too, that when I got this diagnosis, I was told I would have it for life, which is such a disempowering thing for doctors to tell people because I certainly do not suffer with the symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder to this day even though it did take it took months to get over the initial like shaking and not being able to eat and being very sensitive to triggers and things like that and then I would say it took a few years to get over feeling triggered you know and feeling anxious as a result of being triggered but I, at that point, had the tools to work through it. But I did work through it. And I I can't talk about post-traumatic stress disorder without saying that. I know that they're doing a lot of work now in the scientific and medical community, helping even people that have been in heavy combat that come back home from war with post-traumatic stress disorder using psychedelics and theogenic plants and I think that is really exciting so I guess PTSD is something that you can experience to varying degrees of intensity but I can tell you it was so very intense to me I can't even imagine with what people that have been through war are going through because it's it's major when you're in it you're in it and it's pretty intense so I say it's weird because I was embarrassed about why I had PTSD. I I literally did not feel worthy of a medical diagnosis, if you can believe that. Like, I was not worthy of PTSD. (laughs) Okay, okay, Joe. So how is that for some shadow shit? And then, you know, and low self-esteem. I'm not even worthy. I'm not even worthy of PTSD. It was such a strange thing. And then secondly... I, I didn't tell you why, because I didn't want to throw anyone under the bus in telling my story. And I actually did kind of do that on someone else's podcast. I was being interviewed for a podcast recently, and it just slipped out in the moment. Because this is something that if you knew me personally as a friend, like offline, that I would bring up in conversation. And I was just very comfortable and having a conversation with this dude, and I brought it up. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, after I said it. You know, I, I I was like, that's interesting. I just said I was emotionally and sexually abused by my ex-husband on a public podcast. And I haven't even said that on my own podcast, which made me think it's probably time to do that. So I have talked a bit about this on Patreon. The first episodes I did over on Patreon, I told this story with lots of like heavy breathing and long pauses. I was so nervous to tell the story, but I did it. I got through those first couple episodes (laughs) and I just had a craving to tell because I kept saying that I was going through this or I had gone through this and then I felt so weird for leaving it vague and I wanted to share that with people that are more invested in what I do because I feel a different level of commitment to people that are showing up for me in that way. So it felt good to do that if very, very awkward. My main concern in talking about this publicly, even as I know for sure that someone listening may really need to hear what I have to say about this particular experience because they themselves might be going through it. My main concern is that I want to protect my son 
And then my second concern is I don't want to embarrass, like I mentioned, or infuriate my ex-husband, which brings me back around to priority number one, which is protecting my son, because mentioning this here could potentially cut him off from the occasional visits he gets to have with the man that he has known for 15 years to be his stepdad. So... It's all very tricky, Anne Lamott. It's not as easy as you say. (laughs) So keeping that all in mind, I'm going to tread very lightly here and attempt to be as respectful as possible. And I ask that you please do the same if you will, because the reason I got PTSD is really it's a result of addiction. Someone else's addiction and then come to find out my own addiction. Because codependence is an addiction in and of itself. So I assume we all know by now that addiction is a disease. And people caught up in the throes of addiction are powerless against it until they seek help outside themselves or at least help from a higher power from within. And any one of us can fall prey to its grip. Even if you've never had a brush with drug or sex or gambling addiction or alcoholism, you may have experienced its its effects, like I just mentioned, in a codependent relationship, which is a form of addiction. If If you're on Twitter posting about your narcissistic ex, you probably have been in a codependent relationship and chances are if you don't have awareness around that if you haven't healed the shadows that brought you to that relationship in a few more years you'll be posting again about your new narcissistic ex (laughs) so codependent I'm not laughing I'm not laughing at you I'm laughing at the fragility of of our human nature and how we cannot see what we're in when we're in it. Like sometimes it's only in retrospect that you can see like, holy smokes, I was in such a codependent relationship and I didn't even know it. So that's a form of addiction. It can also show up as a video game or online shopping or social media addiction. Anything that becomes an uncomfortable, obsessive, compulsive behavior that you use as a way to avoid life or to try to control your emotions is probably an addiction or well on its way to getting there. So it's just a really common human experience and some of the world's most powerful industries are literally set up to exploit this weakness, which is why social media is on the rise, social media addiction. Having said that, We are each responsible for our own choices. And it was my choice to stay for years with a man who was emotionally, sexually, and financially abusive. Which I am sure he would definitely scoff at to hear me say that. But that was was my experience. And I'm not going to get into the details of that. Because again, I want to be as respectful as possible but literally none of that registered as abuse to me 
when I was in it. it. It didn't register as abuse until I was way out of the situation entirely, and that did not happen overnight. I left that relationship one step at a time over the course of a few years. It was a process, and the universe really kicked that process off for me against my will. It handed me the big bad tower moment that I have spoken about here off and on kind of you know vaguely hinting that I had this big tower moment that was the biggie for me it it really kicked off this this process for me right before Halloween 2010 it was then that I received the shock of my life and I'm saying this in the context of addiction because I knew at that time that my husband was an addict And that porn had become increasingly problematic. But I had no idea what was going on behind my back beyond that. I truly had no clue of this whole like secret life that he was having. And this whole secret operation that he had going on for years. Possibly going back to before we even met. And that was really freaky and spooky to find out so especially just in like one big like boom kind of moment and that moment in the fall of 2010 that I learned in graphic detail that I was married to a a sex addict who had been risking my safety for years in these interactions with strangers he met both online and in the streets. It was like having the rug pulled out from underneath me. It was truly a complete shock. I experienced it as a shock. And the doctors who helped me through the initial symptoms of PTSD a few months after that explained to me that any big shock, particularly one that threatens your sense of safety or upends your sense of reality, it really can result in a diagnosis like that, which I had never heard before, which makes me feel purposeful in talking about this here today in case anybody is having a similar experience this isn't something I hear people talking about like sex addiction and how it really like impacts everyone it was not just shocking for me me uncovering his dark secret world that he did not think anybody else would ever find out about When he found out that I found out, his legs like turned to rubber and he fell on the floor and he couldn't get up. And I was like screaming at him like, get up, get up. And he like couldn't. He like lost the feeling in his legs. So it's, it was just a really wild, intense shadow, like just opening the door on the shadow and shining a light like way beyond what we were both prepared to, to have revealed in the moment. And it saved me. It really saved me, although I did not feel that way at the time. The way it felt at the time was that my entire world was turned upside down in one instant. And I did not know what was real and what wasn't. I questioned everything. And my very first concern was AIDS and or any other kind of life-threatening sexually transmitted disease but AIDS you know I grew up in the 80s primarily and AIDS you know that was that was the big bad scary boogeyman of the sexual revolution 
that was, you know, people came right off the 70s and the AIDS hit, and that's still to this day. I mean, it's very scary diagnosis. I know many people live a healthy life with an HIV diagnosis. They lived that way for a very long time, but I was not thinking that. I was just terrified, like, what if I had AIDS? And it immediately had me fearing for my son. Like, who would take care of my kid if his mother died of AIDS? And how awful would it be for him to watch his mother slowly waste away? And the really fucked up thing about this is my husband had watched his aunt die of AIDS like that is a story he had told me many times so he absolutely knew the risk that he had chose that he chose to take on my behalf and that really pissed me off too that he would risk my life and risk my son's experience of life that way and then there was my financial security because I had become in the later years of our relationship, one of those women who pours all of her creative energy and smarts into trying to make the man's dream come true. Yes, I am a cliche. I did that. (laughs) I did that. I did that. Oh my God, I did that. And while, you know, I was doing that Gosh, I mean, it's hard. I cannot put all the blame on him. These are all choices I made. And today I'm talking about radical responsibility. I'm taking responsibility for all of this. At any point, I could have walked away. I could have called my parents and gone and slept on a couch. I could have been like, screw you. I'm just going to keep working on my business and you can do your thing. And I don't need to write all these emails for you. I don't need to like promote your stuff. And, you know, I could be off building my own thing but I wasn't I was pouring all my energy into trying to make his dreams come true creating the kick-ass life of his dreams like that's a whole other show (laughs) and I was doing that while doing a hundred percent of the housework and child care and I had shit to show for it and that realization was real really scary I was in financial jeopardy which I also experienced as a threat Nothing was as it seemed. Nothing is was, my future was like non-existent at that point. And of course, naturally, my heart was broken because anyone in that situation would be. I was genuinely in love, so it did break my heart. But that honestly was a distant second to those other issues I just mentioned. It was more about survival for me. And, and then my self-esteem, this is a whole other issue, also took a huge hit because I had always been the sexy one. And now I was confronted with these very detailed uh, ads and emails in which my husband was trolling for skinny teenagers. Skinny was a big thing for him, which really... It blew my mind because I could not imagine anyone not thinking that I was skinny enough. (laughs) And I took that as his quest to hook up with skinny teenagers was was like I was not skinny or young enough. And skinny, it, it was so wild to me because... I had always been teased for being too skinny. It was the first time in my life I was like, wait a minute, are you kidding me? Like, I'm not skinny enough. And I was lucky enough to find a therapist a few months into my diagnosis who really helped me a lot with that specifically and all of it, all of it that I'm talking about. 
And if you're a person who is in a relationship with a sex addict, she explained to me, she used Holly Berry as an example. She explained to me that that sex addicts often choose partners that others perceive as a trophy. So their partners are often very attractive, but the partner, when they find out they're married to a sex addict, they take a huge hit on their self-esteem because they interpret it in the way that I was just explaining. I interpreted it. So it was just how I said, it just yanked the rug from underneath me completely in every way I can think of. So let's see, where do I go from here? (laughs) I still too, this is amazing to me looking back, I still spent a couple of years trying to save my marriage and talking him into going to therapy because I did love him and I really was in a codependent relationship. And now looking back, I can see that, thank all the gods, I definitely, in addition to that, was determined to build my life up, to build my life back up so that the next time the shit hit the fan, and of course it did, it did many times, I would be ready. I would be ready. And I think that subconsciously I knew like this is all going to end and I was like preparing. So I kind of hit the ground running after a few months with that therapist and building my life back up in every way. Going back, like really like starting from ground zero with building friendships because if you've ever been in an emotionally abusive relationship, you know one of the first things that happens is they they systematically start isolating you from your friends and people that care about you. And I went through all of that and I had to start with from scratch, making friends, which is why you'll often hear me like be so gushy about like the women in the queen program or the friends that I've made through like having my business online or like new friends that I've made here locally. Like it means the world to me because it's quite challenging to make friends when you're not in a work environment or a school environment as as a full-grown woman it's a trip (laughs) so that you know I had to build my life up I built my business up I built a you know this project that I had been working on that I'm still working on I like started investing more in that I started building my finances up so I would be prepared the next time something bad happened and every time something bad did happen like when we would he would have, we'll call it a relapse, right? <laughs> I I can't believe that I, I allowed this to go on. And I say that, again, as a person who takes radical responsibility. I am responsible for this experience. I could have just walked away at any point. And I chose to go through this. And every time, like, the shit would hit the fan It actually helped me take another step away, though, from those old shadowy patterns and toward my own independence. And here's the thing about that. I did almost all of that in public, partly here on the podcast, which is, you know, I didn't share specifically what I was going through, but I did share the tools that I was using to get me through it to get me to the other side and I literally built a business on the ashes of that tower moment brick by brick one choice at a time and I would just come like here on the podcast or in a video or in a newsletter and I would share whatever I was learning while kind of like protecting that whole story because I wasn't ready to tell it 
And so it was, you know, that that tower moment for me, the whole shocking revelation that led to post-traumatic stress disorder, that was in the fall of 2010. And it was in the spring of 2011 that I started my very first YouTube channel. And then a year later, March 5th, 2012, I started my business, Kick-Ass Switch. And then a year after that, I started this podcast. And I made many friends along the way. And I grew strong helping other people simply by sharing what I was doing to help myself. And it was only five, uh, it was almost five years ago now that I started the tradition with my son. Once I was like, it's just me and you, kid. Like, let's get rid of this guy. It's just the two of us. A little bit after that, I started this new tradition with my son of traveling to a new city for an annual birthday trip. So, so far we have gone to Big Sur, Portland, Oregon, Boston and Salem, Massachusetts, and then Nashville last year. And being able to do that is, it's a symbol of how far I have come and a byproduct of my commitment to making sure that things only get better from here on out. It's about constant growth and continued personal sovereignty. And truly, I say it all the time and and I feel like a dork for saying it again, but it really, this is important to me. It's about the daily creation of the kick-ass life of my dreams. That is why everything that I've shared here on the podcast and elsewhere online is deeply personal and comes from an authentic place. And I found that it's true. It's true when people say that, We serve others best by teaching what we most need to learn ourselves. And we can walk this path together. We can walk this path together, my friends. And I appreciate each and every one of you for doing that with me. And and so this is what I have to say about that. Radical responsibility. radical responsibility first and foremost that's what being a witch is about to me that's what doing magic is about for me it's about taking responsibility for my life and there are you know that's one of two archetypes that I mentioned here earlier the two archetypes that have been crucial in taking radical responsibility for my own life experience and the first is the witch as I just mentioned And then secondly, there is the queen. And truly, like less than six months out from that life-altering shock, I started calling myself a witch. And I think it was because I needed to believe in the magic of myself and the magic of personal transformation and nature and spiritual guidance and that I was being guided and supported and... And that I would be okay. And I needed to feel like a badass. And there's something about calling myself a witch that made me feel like a badass. A kick-ass witch. And it was extremely liberating. And it got me through those early years of self-reclamation. And then I discovered the queen. The queen archetype. And I discovered the queen through working with the goddess 
Athena. And I tracked all of this here on the podcast. <laughs> and, and Athena, it makes sense that Athena would lead me to the queen archetype because Athena is so empowering. She's such an empowering badass goddess. And then I spent all of 2016 working intensely with that energy. And if you've been hanging out here long enough, you probably remember me saying a jillion times, 2016, the year of the queen. (laughs) And every year since then has been the year of the queen since 2016. But that was the year that was just for me. It was my personal year really like investigating like what would it mean to be the queen of your own life and I just it was it was my most powerful power word year by far that I've had and I still continue to work with that word even though like last year my year was joy it was like how can I be a joyful queen or this year my word is leap and it's like I am the kind of queen that can leap into the unknown. (laughs) So it always comes back to that for me. I think this could be a lifelong thing. We'll have to see how long I live and how long I stick with the queen. Um, But that 2016 changed everything because I was working with that archetype. It took everything I was doing and working with the witch archetype up like several notches. And it was in 2017, the next year that I really started guiding other women on their queen journeys. And I started the queen program and nothing that I have done with my business has felt as satisfying as getting messages from those women saying things like, I finally left that jerk, (laughs) or I got that job, or I asked for that raise, or I stood up for myself. And it felt amazing. There are so many I stood up for myself stories that have come from that program. And truly, if I dwell on thinking about some of those stories for too long, I will just start crying and there will be no crying today. This is not a crying show today. But suffice it to say, leading that program has been a moving experience. And, and, and it's about radical responsibility. That's why I titled today's show that. It's about the ability to respond to every challenge, every opportunity, every hit of intuition with radical acceptance and courage. Angela Davis once said that radical, the word radical, simply means grasping things at the root. And that has special resonance for me because reclaiming my personal power first as a witch and then as the queen of my own life was about healing a whole host of root chakra issues. Like root chakra issues involve your finances, your ability to sustain and nurture your physical being. It has to do with the stability of your job and really anything to do with survival. And then of course there's going back to your roots as a sovereign being, a unique expression of the divine, subject to no one but your own soul and perhaps your soul's mysterious place in the grand scheme of things. And I believe, I really do believe this, I believe in the innate sovereignty of each soul, which is why the tagline for the Queen program 
uses the word reclaim, to reclaim your personal sovereignty. It's a remembering and a reclamation of who you are. And I do know that I sound a bit like an evangelical. I, I come on this show and I sound like a preacher sometimes when I, when I get on a roll with something I really care about. And now hopefully you have some context for why it is I get so fired up when I'm talking about the queen or personal sovereignty. The word sovereignty too, since in addition to being a queen and a witch, I'm also a word nerd. The word sovereignty means supreme authority or self-governing state. And being the queen of your own life is about being the ultimate authority on your own needs and living in a self-governing state of being, which brings us around to responsibility. If you're going to live a sovereign life, you have to be willing to take full responsibility for everything that happens to you, which is not to say that everything that happens to you is all your fault or that you, you know, by the law of attraction that you attracted every single thing that comes your way because life is a co-creative experience. I do not believe that every experience you have is a product of your thoughts. I do believe we are in a co-creative relationship with life and that sometimes we just get thrown curveballs it might be that those curveballs are coming from a mysterious place of soul that have a purpose or it might just be that like things happen it could just be totally random but regardless of why it is it is what is and so however However life shows up for you, it's the ball is in your court and it's all on you in terms of how you choose to deal with it. And FYI, choosing to not deal with it or putting the responsibility of your life on someone else is a choice. It's a disempowering choice, but it that's a choice with consequences too. There's no escaping what's meant for you. And I personally am committed to learning how to take as much responsibility for my end of the deal as I can manage, given however much awareness and courage I have on any given day. And sometimes it feels like I am taking two steps forward and one step back, but I am definitely on an upward trajectory and I want to take as many people with me as I can. And that is why I make the time to lead the Queen program at least once a year. I've already done it. I did it once at the top of the year. And here we are. We're doing the Queen program again this summer. And I really hope that if anything I'm saying here today like clicks for you, if it really resonates, that you will consider joining me this August for that journey because we are starting August 1st and the clock is ticking on that. We are now almost halfway through July. So (laughs) August 1st will be here in the blink of an eye and there for sure will be links around here to sign up for Queen. You can't miss it. If you're on my newsletter, I'll be shouting about it a lot in the upcoming weeks because I really want to make sure that everybody who needs this program that it crosses their path and hopefully in a timely fashion and I would have loved to have something like this back in the day but 
I, I get a lot of joy out of getting to provide it for other women and I get a sense of satisfaction out of that. I also want to say that not everyone who feels led to the queen archetype is coming off a traumatic experience. But we all have our challenges. We all have our shadow issues. And whatever you're going through is it's of the utmost importance to you because it's what you're going through. It's your life. And it may just be that you want to learn to ask and receive more from life. It could be that you want to work on setting and maintaining healthy boundaries. It could be any number of things, and they're all perfectly legit. The queen shows up for us at, at different ages and for different reasons. For it's, it's a, Archetypes are universal. It's something we can all tap into and relate to, but I do think it takes on a different meaning for each individual. And that brings me around to this little interview I have with Sierra. And we're so different. You'll see. I mean, we have plenty in common, but we're so different, starting with our age, which I talk about. I hope I didn't come off as condescending because (laughs) I wanted to talk about her age and I'm It's because I didn't come to the queen archetype until I was like going into my 40s and then Sierra shows up in the queen group and she's like 22 years old and I'm like, holy crap, she's so mature and supportive and I was nowhere near that place when I was that age. So I apologize if this comes off condescending. I I was listening back to it and editing it and I was like, oh. (laughs) why am I so amazed that a woman could be so self-possessed at 22? Surely there are plenty of them out there. I just wasn't one of them. So hopefully you will recognize here that here we have, she's 23 now, here we have a young woman who is very much stepping into the queen archetype and rocking it. We talk about adulting as a young person and getting your first real grown-up job complete with health benefits and how that feels coming off an abusive childhood. We talk about social anxiety specifically, and I think this is really interesting, specifically what it's like to be a theatrical person with anxiety and how she uses a bit of glamour magic to help navigate through social environments and have a bit of fun. And really, we we just shoot the shit here for 25 minutes because (laughs) I felt like having her on the show. I like her. So here she is, my friend, gothic Batgirl, a.k.a. Queen Sierra. Hello, Queen Sierra. Welcome to Hippie Witch. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to get to share you with my people because you are my people and good people need to meet good people and everybody needs to know who you are, Sierra. Oh, that's that definitely makes me feel good. I like I'm really shy, but <laughs> I, I just love meeting everyone in, in the different groups and in the queen program and everything. So I'm just super grateful to be here. You're so funny that you call yourself shy because you are one of the most supportive people ever. And you've made a couple videos, I think. In the, yeah. in the Queen program, which I love. Like, you definitely should start making videos at some point because you're gorgeous. And, okay. and I really, I asked you on today because I don't know our 
where I'm going with this. I just kind of had the idea in my head that, like, we should do, like, a patron of the month feature, and I should, like, drag people on the show so y'all can hear how awesome everybody else is. Like, it's such a cool community. I just want to, like, really give that impression because it's people like you that make what I do so amazing, and that's just the truth. Yeah, I mean, I definitely understand. I've I've met some amazing people uh, just through like Twitter and um, the different Facebook groups and everything. So I I definitely appreciate the opportunity. It's definitely new to me. I've never been interviewed before, except for like jobs and stuff. So this is uh, (laughs) (laughs) definitely. Well, let's tell people how you kind of are known as the young one because were you twenty one or twenty two when you when did I meet you through Queen or? did I know you before that? I feel like you really like showed up on my radar strong when we were doing a round of Queen. I think that's when I started feeling a little bit more comfortable with branching out. I definitely had been kind of following you for a couple of years, but I think Shadow Love and Queen definitely kind of brought me out of my shell a little bit and and challenged me. So yeah, I think that that kind of is where that started. I'm 23 now, so I think... Uh, I think I did Shadow Love when I was 21, like right at the end of the year. And then I started my um, 22nd year on this planet with Queen. So <laughs> I love it. I, and you are you have a lot of maturity. When I was 22, <laughs> you could have taught me quite a few things. Like you could maybe run your own Queen program. I've just found you're a very exciting person to keep tabs on because you are a person who reaches outside your comfort zone. And I've noticed, too, that, like, if you make a video, you might be nervous making it or you might be kind of, like, breathing heavy at the beginning. Like, okay, guys, I feel really uncomfortable doing this, but I'm just going to do it. And you push through, and it's incredible that you have something of real value to offer. You always do. Oh, thank you. That that means a lot. I, uh feel like I don't know that much being 23, but um, I've been through a lot of pretty crazy stuff in, in my short, short life here, but it's, it's all been great and it's been a wonderful learning experience for me. So I'm just grateful to be here. <laughs> I, I never would have thought that I would have even made it to 23. I never even really imagined that. So 20, it's, it's, 23 professional woman queen you are as well. Like you just landed a kick-ass job. And I know that that was coming off of a lot of challenge that you dropped out of college to help take care of your dad, which you can totally tell us about as little or as much as you want. And then you had a, you had a pretty okay job, but you wanted a better job. And I know it was very challenging and it required tons of persistence to get a really kick-ass job, which you just did. So can you maybe take us on that journey as far back as you want to go? Sure. Um, I'm from Oakland, California, so we kind of have a bad rep of having like a lot of violence and drugs in our area, um, and I'm black, so I think people kind of judge me based off of that. And my parents are from back east. I'm my, my twin brother and I were raised here in California and born here. So when I was 18, I decided I wanted to go to college back east in Virginia, closer to my grandmother, because she is my number one. And from there, it kind of was a struggle. I couldn't get money for school. I had to fight to get money for school. Um, we almost lost our house right around that time. Um, and then when I got to school, 
um, my first freshman year of college, they almost closed the school. So there was a lot of challenge there. Um, I have social phobia. I don't live defined by that, but that's my diagnosis. Um, and I have a service dog and I left him at home. I wanted every challenge I possibly could. And I wanted to face it head on and I forced myself into it. I ended up in the theater program performing, um, which I'd never done before. So that was really scary. Amazing. That's, I mean, really, you're just outlining what I was just saying, like having social phobia, like you'll be like, I'm terrified to do this. And here I go. I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it big. I'm going to join the theater program. Yeah, I kind of got roped into it and it was an amazing experience. And I ended up coming back from my freshman year because my school was closing and I ended up at SF State in their film program. Um, that was crazy. Um, and right around that time, my parents were kind of going through a lot. My dad had a lot of health issues. He had about five surgeries th that year. So I dropped out of school to help him. And right after he had open heart surgery, my mom filed for divorce. Uh, wow. So after that, uh, basically, she, she's a very violent person. We ended up getting kicked out. She like got the police involved and told them all of these stories about how we were being violent towards her. So we had to move out of um, our house that I'd lived in my entire life growing up, um, find an apartment. He had just, uh, my dad had just had open heart surgery and I was working a retail job. So after that, I decided I needed to get a big kid job. And I ended up at my previous job at Sephora's headquarters. And that was really interesting, um, but it was a struggle. And so after being there for about two years, I decided I needed an actual job that had benefits and things like that so I could help take care of my dad um, and pay bills. So I kind of just manifested that. Like I started thinking last year about what I wanted in a job. I wanted a, a job that was more open to the idea of me taking care of my dad and being helpful with that and not seeing it as a a challenge. You know, I don't have a degree, so it's hard for me to, to find a good job. I wanted someplace that, that would allow me to take time off of work. Um, and now I've been at this job for almost two months and I'm going to be gone for two weeks <laughs> and they had no problem. Like my dad was sick a couple of weeks ago. They let me stay home and work from home. So everything I was looking for in my job, it just kind of showed up at the appropriate time and it kind of, everything fell into place at once. So that's kind of the the shortened version of what I've gone through in the past four or five years. And you got the benefits, right? Yes. You yeah, got the job I'm with the benefits. Really about that. It's paying you better than you, than you expected. Isn't that yeah. something you said? Yeah. I, I was interviewing for this job and they kind of asked me what I wanted to be paid and I'm so used to having an hourly wage that I wasn't really sure how to answer that. And a number just flew out of my mouth and it was a lot more than I was making. And they said, okay, yeah, we can definitely do that. And, um, after they offered me the job, they offered me more than what I asked for. So it's amazing <laughs> about that. Yeah. And I know you like interviewed for tons of jobs. You were super persistent. I, I love, bringing people like you on the show too, that you're not like this super huge, like mega star. You're not an author yet. Who knows what you're going to be? Cause I think you're just really at the beginning of this journey of adulthood and, and you're starting it really like the queen of your own life, which is so impressive to me how I literally did not find the queen archetype until I was going into my forties. And <laughs> it was such a trip 
I learn as much leading that program, I think, as anybody who takes it does from from you all. And it was just so weird being in my 40s and this woman shows up and is like, I'm 22. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to kick some major ass as a queen. And you do. And you're like so present for other people, like if they're having a struggle or they just need some encouragement. You're like the first person there. Offering authentic love. Like, it, you really come from a feeling place, which I appreciate. Well, yeah, I think for me growing up in, in the kind of household that I did, I grew up in a very abusive, physically and emotionally um, abusive household. And I didn't feel a lot of that love growing up. So I definitely have, like, issues with the mother wound that I've worked through, um, especially now that, like, I, I don't speak to my mom anymore, which is really hard. But I've I've learned how to just give and not expect anything back because I want to give. So, um, I know how hard it is when you're trying to handle things on your own and I know how much one little thing can make a huge difference. That's how I live my life. Like if opening a door and holding a door open for someone will change their day, I'm happy to do that. If making smiling at someone, you know, can make all the difference. So I, I try to just be open and as loving as possible because I've been through like attempting suicide and things like that. Like I was very in a, in a dark place as a teenager. So I don't want to, to bring that into someone else's life when I can just give them the love that they need. That's just kind of how I, how I live or I try to. Uh, that's awesome. I hope you're entering a new phase too, where you get to be a little bit selfish, you know, like selfish in a good way. And I'm excited that you get to travel. And I think a lot of that, selfish in a good way like that self-care where it's really just for you and not about other people comes out in two ways I think it's in your nerdiness like you proudly call yourself a nerd gothic bat girl like um, <laughs> you have like the last video you did you're wearing like blue lipstick and and nobody go running to YouTube because I, I you're not making YouTube videos right I had a YouTube channel when I was a teen you find me if you look for a gothic bat girl but it's definitely nothing like uh inspirational it's just me being like an angsty asshole <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll have to say those save those videos for contrast in the future yeah. but uh, my point was I feel like the way you create your look and the way that you like really lean into the nerdy things that you love I feel like that's your your self-care bubble definitely definitely I mean I just, I, I lived a long part of my life, not liking myself at all. And so, you know, when I, when I hit 18 and I moved away from home, I had the opportunity to just kind of stretch out and see who I was. And I'm still learning. I think that you, you never stop learning who you are as you develop and grow and evolve. But I, I think it's, it's really kind of sad when people live their lives in fear. And I did that for so long that now I'm just like, okay, I don't know if I'm comfortable wearing blue list lipstick, but the only way to find out is to do it. So <laughs> that's kind of how I, how I do everything. I just jump in and hope that, you know, the universe will catch me. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like yeah. that helps with social anxiety to put a bit of a costume on? Do you feel like it helps you move through the world or that it makes you feel more conspicuous and uncomfortable? Like how does that translate into interacting with strangers when you're out and about? Um, I used to use it as kind of a costume and I used to kind of hide behind that. I used to wear like a top hat, a huge velvet top hat and I'm almost six feet tall already. So, you are? Um, 
Yeah, I'm I'm pretty big. <laughs> I did not know so, that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and I wear like five inch heels and I'll wear a top hat and like I used to wear velvet cloaks everywhere and I used to hide behind that and I think now I just see the fun in it. So now it's more about me just embracing my weird and embracing my my nerdiness. So I might go into a bookstore dressed like a character from a book I love or I might I just went down to Santa Cruz and um watched the Lost Boys on the Beach. I know we've geeked out oh. about them. <laughs> So, you know, I just embrace my, my nerd and, um, I'm really loving that. Oh, I'm so jealous. <laughs> my brain just had like a freeze moment. Like, what do you mean you saw Lost Boys on the beach? It's... They do it every year. It's so great. Oh it's my so God. Great. In Santa Cruz, which is where they yes. shot Lost Boys. Yes. Yes. And, and people dress up as the characters and all day there's, uh, you know, Lost Boys posters up and everything. It was so much fun. It was my first time going, but I loved being in an environment where there were people like me who enjoyed the stuff that I enjoyed. So that was a lot of fun. Ah, how fun. You know, it's interesting hearing you talk about this, like wearing the top hat and everything. And you truly are like gorgeous. Like you definitely could be a model. Now that I know that you're almost six foot tall, I'm like even (laughs) more so. But I have known, I've been in Hollywood for a very long time. I've known so many performers that have social anxiety. I was just listening to a podcast with Bill Hader talk about how He had such bad social anxiety the entire time he was on Saturday Night Live that he infamously had panic attacks on stage and the audience didn't know, but the staff did and the cast did. And it's such a strange, it requires a lot of courage for people that have social social anxiety to be performers. And it's, it's a weird combination, I think, that I definitely can relate to. Yeah, I... I didn't know that that was something that I enjoyed doing until I went to college and I, my advisor forced me into his class cause he was the head of the theater department and I kept pulling like these Shakespearean monologues to perform and he pulled me aside. He said, I want to see something different. So I went from doing that to doing Judd Nelson, um, from the breakfast club, like when he's talking about his home life. And he's like screaming, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. So I went from like doing Lady Macbeth to fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. And after doing that and like shaking and sweating and practically bursting into tears because I was so nervous after that performance, I saw the look on my professor's face and I was like, I think I actually love this. (laughs) Oh, yes. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's the gift in moving through any fear, but particularly, like, uh, any kind of anxiety or social anxiety. It's so palpable. It's, like, physical in your body. You feel like you're going to pass out or pee or or die or have a heart attack or something. It's so physical. It takes tremendous courage to push past the shaking and all of that. Definitely, definitely does. I still have my moments, but... um... I think that the best thing for me was teaching myself to fight through the fear because once you get to the other side, you feel like a whole new person and you feel so much better oh, rather yes. than just living in that fear all the time and just constantly feeling trapped. Mm-hmm. So I, that's uh, a challenge that I really enjoy taking on as much as I can. Yeah. It's exhilarating. I agree. Yeah. So you said something that caught me off guard at the very, very beginning. I think I'm remembering it correctly. You said you you felt judged for being black. Can you explain that? 
Yeah, sure. So, was that, uh, well, never mind. I'll just let you go. I was, was going to add more questions on top, oh, but you just take it where you will, lady. Uh, okay. I mean, I don't know. I've always been kind of like a bookish and and shy, and so in the black community, like you're not really allowed to be shy. Like you're forced into like go talk to so and so, go give so and so a hug, and and my parents being southern and being older, my parents are close to seventy years old, so they grew up during the Jim Crow era, and like my mom marched with Dr. King, and you know that she knew his family and things like that. So I I had the kind of a weird experience living in California, but being judged because I'm not dark enough for some black people, but I'm not white enough for some white people and people don't know what box to put me in. Mm. And so they just kind of shove me in other. So, um, for a long time, like I didn't know where I, I was supposed to go. And as I got older, I realized I don't have to go where other people put me. I can put myself you know, anywhere I want and I can go wherever, where I want to go. Um, and I think challenging myself to just be more open and accept that people are going to judge me anyway, has, has let, let me learn more about myself and figure out who I am without worrying about what other people are thinking. Mm. Uh, yeah. yeah. So maybe that's where you started to embrace this. Like you, you, you used to, like when I first met you, you'd be like, Oh, I'm weird. And I'd be like, you're not weird. And you'd be like, no, I like being weird. I embrace the weird yeah. <laughs> or being a nerd. I know like that's a word that you embrace or being like Gothic Batgirl and wearing like yeah. Gothic clothes and like black lipstick. I don't feel like that's typically associated with the black girl you think of like the super pale white girl in the corner of the library with the black lipstick and and so you really defy that stereotype and give it a new dimension yeah I mean I never even I don't even know how I ended up in you know the kind of goth aesthetic I just really loved Halloween I really loved kind of spooky stuff and I think it kind of maybe I use it as a defense mechanism at first, um, because people kind of left you alone if you were a little scary, a little, um, weird. Um, but I've slowly found that it just, I feel comfortable there. It's where I like to live. And yeah, I feel like the more I embrace it, the more I, I feel more comfortable with myself. It's, it's definitely strange, but, um, I think strange is good. I think, you know, being unique and finding your niche is, is, is kind of the best thing that you can do for yourself as long as you're happy and you're not hurting anyone else. Mm -hmm. Weird must stay too. It's how you find your tribe. Exactly. Exactly. Do you feel like books and movies helped you define yourself when you weren't maybe seeing yourself in this group of people or that group of people? I find a lot of times when you feel like an outsider, it's natural to turn to books and movies and fictional characters to start developing a sense of self. Absolutely. I... When I was a little kid, I have a twin brother, but he was the exact polar opposite of me. Like, we're mirror twins through and through. Um, He's very outgoing, um, very personable, and I was very bookish, and I always had my face, like, shoved in a book or a notebook somewhere. I tell people all the time, like, um, when I was growing up, books and movies were my friends. I had friends here or there, but it wasn't a lot of them. So 
I just, I think that's how I gravitated toward, um, learning more about myself and, and embracing an adventure, whether it's, you know, something as simple as like walking to the grocery store, you can find the fun and adventure in that, or going on a trip like I am now. I think, I don't know. I think that's maybe how I ended up loving film and loving performance is just, I loved getting lost in books and movies as a kid. And now I can't see myself not doing that at some point in my life. Mm-hmm. And witches. <laughs> of course. Anything with witches. <laughs> Who's your favorite witch? And I, I mean, fictional. Mm. Oh, that's a hard one. I have to say the, the film practical magic the the aunts like are who I want to grow up and be. I just want to live in a Victorian house and hang out and drink midnight margaritas. <laughs> oh my god, I'm so like, with you on that. I maybe we could be aunt the ants together. Yes, I'm I'm so in. Let's just get a Victorian house and we can just have margaritas and hang out. <laughs> oh, it's such a tragedy that they built that house for the movie and then they tore it down. Uh. It breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. I feel like it could be a whole business, just like letting people tour that house and throw parties in that house. I feel like that was a horrible mistake. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, there's so many opportunities to to merchandise off of that. You could have a whole skincare line. I mean, (laughs) I don't think they knew the cult following. And and of course, you would go straight to skincare. (laughs) (laughs) So where do what do you feel like? Where do you feel like you're going now that you're on? I mean, you're definitely stepped on for sure onto this queen path. You're definitely gaining more independence, more sovereignty, more confidence. Is this job, does it feel like it really suits your personality or does it feel like a vehicle that's taking you to a greater sense of empowerment, if that makes sense? Um, it makes total sense. Um, actually, I, I've had a plan since high school to to move. I wanted to move to L.A. since I was in high school because of the whole film nerd, I want to be an actor type, type of thing. I just uh, I feel like my plan is to stay in this job for a little while until I can get my financial situation a little bit better. Um, and then once I get my credit score up and I save some money, then I definitely want to move to L.A. and kind of figure out my life there. (laughs) Huh. Well, interesting. You should say that because I happen to know someone who lives in Los Angeles. Oh, yeah. So uh, (laughs) we'll have to work that out. (laughs) There will be the witchy welcome wagon. You know quite a few of us now just from hanging out in these like private Facebook groups. Yeah. (laughs) So you'll actually, that's a good thing. Getting to move to LA, having like a little circle of friends already is a huge leg up. Yeah, and I'll definitely have to come down and visit. I mean, it's a six-hour drive, which is, like, nothing. So (laughs) I definitely will have to come visit everyone. Wow. Should we do the question, even though this is not supposed to be, like, a formal interview? I just wanted to introduce people to you because I think you are awesome. Thank you. Yeah, let's end with the question I always ask because you never know. You might have a really good answer. Do you have a tip for creating the kick-ass life of your dreams? I think my tip would be just if you're feeling any sort of resistance towards doing something, definitely analyze why and just take a leap of faith. I know this is your big leap year, but that like really has always spoken to me to just jump in and see where, see where life takes you. Um, that's, that's kind of how I've lived my life. So as long as you're taking a leap of faith and you're doing things in love and you know, you're not trying to hurt any, anyone else, I think 
your life will kind of meet you halfway. The universe will meet you halfway and you will be shocked at the amazing things that will happen for you. I I'm definitely proof of that. Okay. So if somebody just listened to this and they're like, Oh my gosh, I feel like I would be such good friends with her. How can they connect with you? Like on social media? Sure. Um, on Instagram, I am X Pettywise because I love horror movies. <laughs> Pennywise, um, like Penny, yeah, like a Pennywise, but it's Petty because I can be Petty sometimes. Petty, okay. <laughs> um, and then on Twitter, I'm X Gothic Batgirl X, all one word. Sure, if you search for me, you can find me other places. I'm in the Queen group. I'm all over um, pretty much every group that you have, Joanna. They can find me here, <laughs> Lowry, um, and I'm super friendly. So you can always just read out if you need words of encouragement I'm your girl you so are thank you for doing this I know you're in the middle of packing so I totally appreciate oh, it's it totally it's totally fine I I was so excited to hear from you and I just I cannot say how much I love you enough so this has been an amazing opportunity and I really appreciate it yay I love you too so what did you think? How did you like that? Should I have more people on the show like Sierra, people that I've gotten to know behind the scenes from running the biz or what? You like that kind of thing? I really get a kick out of it. I think it's really fun to bring on friends and people that might be more relatable than somebody who has a best-selling novel out. Even though, you know, I love to bring somebody who has a best-selling novel out. <laughs> That's fun, too. It's all good. And so is the music this summer. I'm so excited that I've heard from so many of you about the Spirit House Records music that I have been playing for the Summer of Magic, Johanna Warren is going to be on the show in about a week. I already did that interview, and it was after I recorded that interview that I asked her, like, hey, do you want to be our musical sponsor for the Summer of Magic? And she said yes. So I have another song for you today from Spirit House Records. It's from a band called A Stick and Stone off the album Night Vision, and the song is called Helicopters, and not the melody so much, but the first... The first few lyrics actually remind me of my kid because one of his favorite things to do is groove on the helicopters. We live in L.A., so there's lots of them, and he loves flies. And she talks about helicopters and flies right off the bat, so I was like, yes, <laughs> yes to that. A Stick and Stone is super experimental, really creative, and this is the song that I think is the most accessible of, of what I heard anyway. I, I went through the whole, the whole, all the songs I could find from A Stick and Stone. And this is the one that I thought, you'll hear, you'll hear it and you'll be like, that is their most accessible song. <laughs> They're very, very creative and experimental. And this song has some really interesting sounds going on. I can't even identify some of the instruments, but I like that. I like that. It's got a groovy doom and gloom vibe if that's a thing I feel like doom and gloom can be groovy yeah it's groovy it's it's a it's a doom and gloomy kind of groove and then it just kind of ends abruptly like yeah that's it that's the song deal with it <laughs> so so this is today's episode that's it deal with it and until we meet again much love to you peace Oh, my little helicopters and the 